Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. As a member of the Democratic leadership in the United States Senate, and as a senator from the state of Vermont, this is something that I intend to intensely be involved in over the next number of months, and that will require an enormous amount of work. Which takes me to the state of our presidential campaign. I wish I could give you better news, but I think you know the truth. And that is that we are now some 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden, and the path toward victory is virtually impossible. So while we are winning the ideological battle, and while we are winning the support of so many young people and working people throughout the country, I have concluded that this battle for the Democratic nomination will not be successful. And so today, I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. Please know that I do not make this decision lightly. In fact, it has been a very difficult and painful decision. Over the past few weeks, Jane and I, in consultation with top staff and many of our prominent supporters, have made an honest assessment of the prospects for victory. If I believed we had a feasible path to the nomination, I would certainly continue the campaign. But it's just not there. I know that there may be some in our movement who disagree with this decision, who would like us to fight on to the last ballot cast at the Democratic Convention. I understand that position. But as I see the crisis gripping the nation, exacerbated by a president unwilling or unable to provide any kind of credible leadership and the work that needs to be done to protect people in this most desperate hour, I cannot in good conscience continue to mount a campaign they cannot win, and which would interfere with the important work required of all of us in this difficult hour. But let me say this very emphatically. As you all know, we have never been just a campaign. We are a grassroots, multiracial, multi-generational movement which has always believed that real change never comes from the top on down, but always from the bottom on up. We have taken on Wall Street, the insurance companies, the drug companies, the fossil fuel industry, the military industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, and the greed of the entire corporate elite. That struggle continues while this campaign is coming to an end. Today on the show, we have John Graziano and Pat the Burner, a.k.a. Pat Cody, to talk about the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign and where the movement goes from here. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Hey, Tina. So first of all, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign. I actually didn't see that coming. I thought that he was going to go till the end of the uh, end of the road to the convention. That didn't happen. Um, Some arm twisting probably happened behind the scenes, I'm guessing. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Well, I actually wanted to ask Pat, are you still Pat the Burner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually changed my handle to Pat Just Pat. Okay. Until I come up with a better plan. Ah, you but, copied uh, the plain old Johnny Graz. Plain Did old- you do that too? <laughs> I, I've been playing old Johnny Graz for, for a while. Yeah, 
I don't remember what I was before. Oh, it was some Game of Thrones thing. Jon um, Snow. And and then they they had the uh, right. the, the the end of Game of Thrones, and I I decided to abandon all Game of Thrones things. So it's actually a very similar because I I posted a poll a few days ago with which had the more disappointing ending, Game of Thrones or Bernie Twenty Twenty. Yeah. <laughs> what one? Which which one? Well, Bernie Twenty Twenty won by about two thirds, but wow. Yeah. People, there's a for me there are a lot of comparisons to um to that it, it, the parallels are, are really strong i i think both of them showed a, a really strong lack of consideration for the people who were following them um sort of an abandonment of yeah. a lot of promises explicit and implied um, and even after that major betrayal, you still had stands running around saying, oh, no, no, they're still good. They're still wonderful. I, I, I think goodness comes from results. And mm-hmm. I still want to adopt Bernie as my grandpa. But the guy's not the candidate we thought he was. And he's not the candidate he led us to believe. And that's really, uh, that's really, really disappointing. What about well, you, Pat? Think, oh, sorry. I, I mean, I, that's all right. Um, I mean, I agree with Bree on this 100%. I don't know if you read her. Um, she, she wrote an article. Well, she was interviewed for The Atlantic. They did a, a story on her about it. And, um, you know, Bernie gave up all his leverage early. I mean, it's not that we didn't think he was going to eventually probably endorse Joe Biden. He always said he would. But to give it up at this point, you know, what's what's the incentive for Biden to to move left on policy? I mean, we know it's it's a fake left anyway, but at least he should be coming fake left. And now he he already has the endorsement of his his opponent. So. Yeah, he has the endorsement, but he actually hasn't won the votes. It seems to me that the voters are not responding in kind, and which is absolutely predictable. I mean, all of those folks in the neoliberal camp that have basically been calling the Bernie Sanders followers a cult for so many years are now going to have to come to terms with the fact that it's not a cult. These are folks that (laughs) followed Bernie because of policy, not because of Bernie. And now they're trying to say, well, Bernie's telling you to to vote for Biden. And the response is, is uh, predominantly, no, that's not what I'm going to do. The idea of not bowing down to authority, it just it just does not compute for these bootleggers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but before Bernie dropped out, they're like, you're a cult, you're a fucking cult. Yeah. Then after they're like, how dare you do not do as your leader commands? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Right. They don't. They do not, and they still don't understand that they keep hitting us with, "Oh, look who endorsed him." This person endorsed him. These right. these eight people endorsed him. To which I reply, "Well, that's eight more votes for for Biden. Uh, you better get phone banking. You only need about sixty five million more." Well, that's exactly it. It's like even if they eventually shame us into voting for him, you're you're not going to shame people into working for him. And you need people to work on your campaign and get out the vote and do that work. And that's just not going to happen. That's going to be all paid work. Right. And obviously, the other part of the conversation is the one being completely ignored, and that's Tara Reid. This is an accusation of sexual assault that is incredibly credible. There's more corroborating evidence to her claims than there was ever with, um, with Dr. Ford. Yet, a lot of these folks are choosing to ignore that. 
they're choosing to say that Biden is less of a rapist, so it's okay. But what I'm really uh, upset with is the actual lack of commentary coming out of the Bernie Sanders campaign on this. Nobody in that campaign, I mean, he did finally say something that she deserves her, to, her you know, right to tell her story and speak and stuff. But then why, why is it? I need to understand this. Why is it that you guys are all literally getting behind somebody that is, is more or less guilty of sexual assault? That is abandoning your principles and the principles of the movement. And it's, um, it's very upsetting. And I think that this is the other part of the, of the equation because a lot of women, leftist women, aren't going to fall off that cliff. Right. And, you know, not just I mean, the leftist women at least know about the Terry Reid story, the centrist women, for the most part. And I would just say just Joe or Jane Democrat or Joe Democrat, both Karen um, Democrat, Karen, De- they're going <laughs> to Karen Democrat. There you go. They're going to hear about this for the first time from Trump. And it's yes. going to be in the general election. Right. It's going to be a huge issue. And the time to vet these claims is now I agree. And, and putting it off to the general election is a sure way to give permission to people who don't want to vote for Biden. Has Donald Trump even mentioned it? No, not yet. But he has come after some of the other uh, areas yeah, yeah. where Biden is ripe for a takedown. Look, sure, he's not but I to think fight. he's but, yeah, Biden is horrible. But I think we may be overestimating how much emphasis um, the orange rapist is going to place on the activities of the blue rapist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, no, it's I, a I, uh, right. It's a he's card opened himself he up play. for the same criticisms. I I hear you there, but that doesn't I, mean that these I, women voters are going to follow suit. One thing I can guarantee is um, at the first debate, Trump will have uh, if she'll go along. She may not go along because she does have her own principles. But if he makes puts Tara Reid in the front row like he did with Juanita Broderick um, during the Clinton debate. Um, that's going to that's gonna rattle Gropey Joe because Joe doesn't have the mental discipline or the mental anything of, of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah he's clearly, that's the other part. He's clearly in, in cognitive decline. I don't think that's up for debate. I have no idea what the DNC is thinking right now unless they really prefer four more years of Trump to eight years of Bernie they Sanders. The, they do. The thing that I was surprised with and maybe you'll say this is too harsh, but does Bernie prefer four more years of Trump? I don't uh, think so. The, the reason I ask is yeah. this guy's been in politics for a long time. And say whatever you want about him. I've, I've seen several times where Bernie just struck me with how brilliant he is as a human being. How does he not know that Joe Biden is a sure loser and that he is a sure winner? How does he not know that? I'm not sure that he doesn't not know that, John. But if he does, I'm mixing up my does not know. (laughs) It's like what my boss said once, which is I I can't deny that I don't. Let's go for a quadruple negative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's like a double, double then, negative. Then what is does that he true do? or false? Then, then what is uh, th- this is the thing? I think there are a lot of questions and and, you know, I, I'm I think these questions need to be asked. and I think they need to be answered, which is. Bernie, what are you doing? If, if you know that Joe Biden, first of all, why are you saying Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump if you don't think he can beat Donald Trump? And if you think he can beat Donald Trump, what the hell is wrong with you? How, how do you think that Biden can beat Donald Trump? 
And if you don't believe Biden could beat Donald Trump, then why are you suspending your campaign? Why are you dropping out? Why aren't you doubling down, tripling down, going harder at this guy? That those are the questions that come up in my mind. And I, yeah. I don't have answers. The answers that come up um, are too terrible to contemplate. So I, I, I don't know what a, a more logical response would be. Well, you know, I, think, I, I tend ahead, to take him on I tend tend to take Bernie on his word that he just really does see Trump as an existential threat. And yeah, he, he has a lot of consultants in his ear telling him that he can't win. And these are people that have worked, you know, within the Democratic Party and they, they're fine with Bernie. Half of them are fine with Bernie losing, too. So do you think they're enough there of those to people? Tell him? Do you think they're that? there to tell him he can't win? You think like Ro Khanna and Chuck Roach? Yes. And, okay. And so my thought, John, yes. Yeah. I think Pat. I think Pat's correct on this. I think there are two fractions inside the internal campaign itself. Mm-hmm. I think you have the grassroots movement, the grassroots side, which would be the Brianna, the Nina, the David Sirota, these folks. Mm-hmm. And then you have the paid political consultants that they brought in to run the campaign. That would be Chuck yeah. Rocha. That would be Ro Khanna. That would be mm-hmm. all the folks that they hired within the states. And I think you can quite literally go back through the trajectory of the campaign and see where those two factions have been butting heads on many things. And I think the advice for Bernie Sanders to drop out is absolutely coming from the paid political class, not the grassroots side. And I think there was probably some discussion back and forth on this. And for for whatever reason, the Jeff Weaver side prevailed in this discussion. And, you know, look, I haven't really talked very publicly about this, but when I was on the road, you know, when I was in Iowa, when I was in Nevada, I saw campaign staffers that behaved very badly towards others, behaved very badly towards some of the grassroots activists. And I found it to be a little bit disturbing. So, so none of these stories that are now coming out are surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that from, from the Bernie Slack with the grassroots activists, I wasn't on there, but I know people who were on the Bernie Slack. I I didn't join. And specifically because of the fact that I was told that the grassroots activists were just there to shut up and listen. They weren't, they weren't allowed to contribute. Um, But the thing that kills me, and this is the part where I start getting angry is when you talk about paid political consultants, who was paying those political consultants? You know who was paying those we political were, consultants? We were, with our donations. We were. Yeah, 100%. Those, the Uber driver who gives his last 10 bucks out of the week to Bernie because he so wants Bernie to win. That went into Chuck Roach's pocket or, or Ro Khanna's pocket. And, and in 2016, those went into Simone Sanders' pocket. And, and to me... This is, whether it was intended or not, this is a fundamental betrayal of what Bernie says he stands for. I don't disagree, um, but I just don't know how aware he is personally of, of all of these things. Like, let me give you another example. About a year ago, I was at a Bernie Sanders event, and one of one of the staff in California, I don't want to particularly name names, actually said to me and somebody else, verbatim basically that we should be prepared for bernie to not win the primary and support whoever was the eventual democratic nominee why would somebody why would somebody who works for that campaign that early on the race even broach that kind of a subject it was offensive it was why are you even here it's it's not the only time that happened i went to the sacramento the, the formation of the sacramento supposedly grassroots bernie group and there was a there was a couple of guys there 
who the first thing they did was demand, literally demand that we all that we all take a loyalty oath. Um, and I'm not saying this too strongly. They're like, everyone here, if you're going to be part of this, you have to agree to support the eventual Democratic nominee and Get and, and to not attack the other Democratic candidates in the, in yeah. the primary. And and it, were you at that were you at that meeting, Pat, or did you? I no, but I, I remember hearing about that. I think we might have discussed it. Yeah, yeah, and that's when I I just kind of decided I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit there. I'm gonna observe what happens, and then when this thing is done, I'm gonna walk out that fucking door, and I'm never gonna look back because this yeah. is a recipe for failure. I agree. It's uh, it's ridiculous. Well, so I was gonna say that you know if you look at the. Uh, among the progressive wing um, within his consultants, um, even they, half of them were fine with Elizabeth Warren winning. And mm -hmm. she was an opponent. And that strategy was extremely flawed from the start. I don't disagree. Yeah. Look, he never went rough after any of these folks and he should have been from day one like these are your enemies per se not like literally enemies but these are the folks that you need to fight against to to secure the nomination and that's just politics he's a very um bernie as a person is a very authentic kind human being i don't think that's in his nature and it's why we like him let's be honest but at the same time it can be detrimental if you are in electoral politics there, there you need to be a bit of a scrapper in order to to secure that nomination um so let me ask you this, and, and I don't disagree with any of that. Why didn't they, as a strategy, see this coming? It was apparent to me after Las Vegas, after Nevada, that he had won those first contests, like soundly won them, and that, and that he was on a roll and that was going to continue to happen. And, and the establishment side realized that, and they knew in that moment that if they didn't consolidate behind a candidate that they were going to lose, which is why they engaged in what they engaged in. So... Why wasn't the campaign prepared for that? Or do you think that they well, were? Was there a conversation that happened with Elizabeth Warren to have her drop out before Super Tuesday and have a consolidation? Like, what are your thoughts on all of that? I think the campaign was prepared for that. Okay. Um, and the reason is that I think none of that had any impact on the primary whatsoever. I think it was a non-issue. Seriously, people, you know, Klobuchar's polling at 3%. And people are going to listen to her endorsement. Nobody cares about those things, okay? The endorsement thing was the cover story for what really had to happen. The theft of the elections, the total and complete and outright stealing of the primaries. It, it, please re elaborate on what exactly you're saying there. What we saw, okay, for first of all, everybody saw Iowa. Everybody saw that shadow app. That was done out in the open. What was Everyone's, that? The shadow. Oh, the that, shadow. That yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That was done out in the open. Yeah. And if anyone thinks there was any reason for that app, aside from messing with the caucus counts, then I have a homeopathic COVID vaccine to sell you. <laughs> it's unbelievable that Bernie didn't step back in Iowa and say, stop. And if you do this, I am running third party tomorrow because they violated every possible line of whatever contract Bernie, Bernie signed when they started trying to steal the election. What I can't believe Bernie wasn't prepared for 
is for them to start outright stealing. Now, in after Nevada, what we saw, and, and this is not after Nevada, we also saw this in New Hampshire, um, vote shares that were well outside the margin of error on exit polls. We, we, we saw that in Massachusetts, we saw that in Texas, we saw that in the Southern states and South Carolina. What we also saw were signatures of fractional voting. This all happened in 2016 and it was documented uh, by uh, TDMS research that what happened was as the votes continued to roll in, Bernie's vote share dropped and Biden's vote share increased. Well, okay. And again, that's... That's a, that's a signature used by our State Department and by the UN for examples of election fraud. Okay, we, it, it we is and it isn't, John. the government me... in Bolivia because of that. Yeah, but our election, our election, our exit polls are different. I actually interviewed both both T Theodore Ted on this, and I talked to John Zogby too. The problem, the reason the vote tallies change is because that first release that they do at the start of the evening, that's the raw polling data from the exit polls. It hasn't been doctored yeah. yet. Let me finish. This is important stuff. As it progresses, they start to actually weight the exit polls towards the actual results. So anything that comes after that has been muddied incredibly by the actual results itself. So our exit polls that are, are commissioned by Edison Research, which is a consortium of news organizations, these are not intended to check against election fraud. They're, they're intended to predict election outcomes. Yeah, so, so let me let me, explain, let me explore that for one. Okay, finish what you're saying. Um, so do I think that exit polls can be used to check against election fraud? Yes, they are used in other countries. They have been, and, but they're also designed differently. And there's also a complete transparency of data that's given. Edison Research is not transparent in what they're doing. We actually don't know what they're doing. So uh, we do actually know what they're doing. We in, don't, in John, one, we don't. one fundamental sense, because you can follow the numbers. And I'm agreeing completely with with what Zogby and, and these other people said about the exit poll. They massage the results to bring them more in line with. They, they go the, beyond the massaging. They vote. weight them. They actually combine them. Yes. They weight them towards. So and, they're not. And, and those weightings and those massagings only go in one direction. They go to make the exit polls more in line with the votes. And even after doing that, they could not bring them within the margin of error on an exit poll. So to me, this is another indication. The other indication that is undeniable and that no one has answered the question with all this massaging and all of this stuff and everybody poo-pooing the exit poll. Why in 2016 was every Republican exit poll yeah. in every context done by the same company at the same time yes, with the same vote increasings, 100% accurate, while the Democratic results were wildly off? I no one has answered that. Well, I don't know about wildly off, but they are off. Well, let me say this. I do think Somewhere there are problems. There are problems there. to one odds. I think there are problems there. I'm not saying there aren't problems. I think the obvious problems, what, what constitutes voter suppression? Long lines. Yeah. Where there has been electronic voting machines, there has always been discrepancies. That's not a new thing. So we, I mean, that's, there's a case to be made for going back to paper ballots. Um, but what I'm saying is this. Do I think there is a cheating margin of error that's occurred within this primary? Yes, absolutely. That's the case. I don't think that's up for debate. However, the difference is this. In the first three contests, Bernie was able to win beyond the cheating margin of error. And the reason he was able to do that was because it was such a split field on the establishment mm -hmm. side. That definitely added to his ability to take those, uh, take, to take those primaries the way he did. So 
knowing like we all knew that this was going was going to be the case we knew the dnc was going to put their thumb on their scale no matter what that looks like or how that looks you know there's probably a million ways they've done that that we aren't aware of and we'll never know etc but we knew that that was going to happen so what i want to suggest is this if we're going to play at electoral politics and we know the dnc operates this way there should have been a conversation at some point much earlier with the elizabeth warren campaign in which they decided to consolidate, and obviously Bernie being the person way ahead where she wasn't even pulling, pulling in any numbers that were viable at any of these first three contests, she should have dropped out and consolidated as, as a method. And look, I'm saying this as somebody that believes in democracy. I don't think anybody should be dropping out ever. I think let all 25 of them go to the end. Let people decide who they want. That's really how the DNC should be operating. But they're not, right? So this is the reality. We are dealing with a system that is entirely fucked up and corrupt, right? So but you don't the, think the, Bernie the, the problem is with Warren? Go ahead. Yeah, Pat. The problem oh, is Pat, well, the problem is you know, sure, Elizabeth Warren should have dropped out and endorsed Bernie, but she wasn't going to. I mean, she she wasn't going to endorse him. Period. It wasn't she her never role. did. You know, so I mean, she's the villain this cycle to me. Oh, I agree. But do you think that conversation was had? Do you think there should, there was strategy that was tried to be, I mean, look, if we're going, the progressives in the, on the left flank here, we need to realize that this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing, it's that whole idea that, so, so our, our good natures, right. As progressives, our, our empathy, our, the way we see the world, the way we want to function in the world all which is good right can be so detrimental to our our movement in the sense that we're not willing to get dirty in the way that they are and that's why sometimes we find ourselves in some of these situations that's all i'm saying at some point we need to be willing to be hated like really hated and maybe not have empathy for the folks that are are showing us who they are showing us that they're not good people yeah but who's we right we, by you we, mean, I mean, I mean you, you I mean, Pat, Pat, I mean, I mean, people like us that. Tweet. I'm not willing to be hated. Have you seen You're not my what? Twitter feed? <laughs> I mean, we're willing to be hated. We're hated. Well, okay, we're you, and, you and Pat hated. are for sure. But, but you, I'm saying generally in our movement, there's a lot of folks, including Bernie Sanders, that aren't willing to do yeah. that. But Don't it's tell yourself short. Natures. A lot of people hate you too, Tina. <laughs> but I think. I'm hearing from multiple people, and this is why I raised the objection to whether Bern, your thing that didn't Bernie reach out. Of course, he reached out to Elizabeth Warren. Of course, he reached out on multiple okay. occasions. So you think that Warren. happened? That's who Bernie is. Okay. I mean, if there's not anything we know about Bernie, what I'm hearing from multiple people in the campaign is that part of the reason Bernie suspended his campaign, part of the reason we saw kind of a fight go out of him, was he was absolutely despondent about what his friend Elizabeth Warren turned into in this campaign and why she would never talk to him. She would never return his calls. She pulled that that fake sexist story on him. Yeah, that was bad. Elizabeth Warren's role in this campaign, and we should have known it from the beginning, was to destroy Bernie Sanders. That was what she was there for. And she did her job. And watch her get rewarded with um, you know, I don't think she's going to get a cabinet position because the Democrats aren't going to win this one. But watch her get appointed to the chair of several uh, key Senate committees. Watch, watch the rewards roll in for her. Watch the rewards roll in for Ro Khanna. And Chuck Roach has already started his, his, yeah, his Latinx lobbying group yeah. um, that's basically another, another paycheck for him. So your argument is that Elizabeth Warren all along was already siding with the corporate wing party. 
She was already siding with the, the, okay. the corporate wing. She was. And I agree with that. You agree with that, Pat? Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it's worth looking at. Um, so let me ask you this. I, I think we're at this point now where I think even more so than in 2016, here in 2020, I think people are really seeing the DNC as threadbare. They, they are, they're so blatant in, in their disregard of how they see progressives in the wing. I think a great example of this is, is their, um, aid, their aid response to COVID. They were absolutely left flanked by Trump. You had Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi out there basically saying, we're not going to get behind emergency UBI. We want to give loans. Are you kidding me? Low interest loans to the people that are hurting. These are people that have lost their jobs. And because they have lost their jobs, they have no access to medical care. They can't afford COBRA. They can't afford rent. And you want to give them loans? That's your response? So uh, the disconnect is so clear. And then Nancy Pelosi gets on social media and she does this video in front of these two giant $20,000 refrigerators that are stocked full of expensive ice cream. And she's bitching about having to restock her ice cream. This is how out of touch these folks are. So... I think well, right you now look in this at moment them. that we're looking at like real revolution. I, I think this pansy like peaceful shit's over. I think there's going to be real, real, dis, uh, real dissent out there in the world. And I, I think now is a good time to really look at what it means to go to a third party. What are your thoughts on that? Well, to me, the most vile thing was was uh, the Democratic Party encouraging people to vote in three states when COVID was oh, spreading yeah, and no, against I, against. Yeah. CDC recommendations. Yeah. And then Pat, they went beyond encouraging people to go out and vote. Tom Perez literally threatened these states with te- with delegate penalties. Right. But, you know, three states, they went against the CDC require, uh, recommendations, yeah. encouraged these people to vote. And then the moment that Bernie drops out, they turn it and act like the Republicans are the bad guys because <laughs> they won't stop the elections. Like know, instantly, the very next day. They're attacking yeah. Republicans on the issue. Yeah, no, it was terrible. Uh, Simone Sanders was, I mean, she went on te- TV and said it was perfectly safe to vote. Our democracy um, is, is extremely important. And even in times of strife in this country, we have to do our duty. So uh, the CDC and folks have said it's safe out there for Tuesday. So I, you know, I don't know what Senator Sanders was talking about, but I'll tell you, Governor DeWine said it was safe in Ohio. So I, I encourage people to get out there and vote on Tuesday. I, you know, and that's on top of the delegate penalties that Tom Perez threatened them with. When Ohio uh, thought about canceling the election, he was like, fine, we'll give you a delegate penalty. So they actually really didn't care. They knew in that moment that they could put an end to Bernie Sanders. Uh, and that's what they chose to do. That seemed to be more important to them. Well, yeah. And what they could, what, another strategy they could have utilized is is uh, have the states push the primaries back to, you know, if it was, if it was, uh, any states that held their primary after June something were at risk of losing all their delegates. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, so they could look, have they hypothetically could have, had New York just push theirs back and that's it. Bernie yeah, can't win. They could have easily, but they could have easily decided to look at the situation, say this is bad. It's a, it's a pandemic. Let's figure out how we can do vote by mail. Let's figure out how we can extend voting until closer to the convention. They could have handled this all very differently. And they chose not they to because it was to benefit. Yeah, they couldn't have handled it differently if they wanted Biden to win. Well, if they yes. push those if they push those primaries off to June, you know, Bernie who knows what, what liquid state Biden's brain would have been in at yeah. that point. Liquid uh, they, <laughs> who knows how many other 
how many other uh, rape accusers and child molestation videos would have come out about Joe Biden. I mean, this is what we're seeing now is the the absolute pinnacle of manufacturing consent. And yeah. what's what's the most heartbreaking about this is just when his his book is being proven 100 percent right. Noam Chomsky comes out and says, you got to vote for the lesser of two evils. OK, but Chomsky always says that. So I guess that's no shock. He's got a record right. of saying. I so. mean, it's, it's useful as much as I admire the guy. I mean, I have a career in compilers because of the linguistic work that that Noam Chomsky yeah. did. No, I love I've, I love I've admired Noam. the guy. Uh, you know, since I was a teenager. Um, but we have to remind ourselves that Noam Chomsky is not an activist. Noam Chomsky is an intellectual. Right. Yeah. And he's a very well off intellectual who doesn't see on a day to day basis the kind of things that you see when you're in these communities. Yeah. There's a real disconnect from from his philosophy and his political advice. So I would ignore his political advice. <laughs> But but back to the conversation on third parties, where what do you think there's now a, a place for them? Is it possible that the Green Party comes out above the five percent this time? Like, where do you see this going? I don't think there's a place for third parties, fourth parties, second parties, first parties, anything, as long as our elections cannot be legitimate. Um, voting right now is a lie. It's a 100 percent complete and total lie. And when we get in line and stand in line for five hours to yeah. cast a vote that's not going to be countered, we become complicit in that lie. And for me, it's not about do we start a third party. It's not about, you know, how many concessions can Bernie get in the convention. It's about taking this system apart and starting with the fact that our votes, as pitiful an example of self-governance is uh, filling out this multiple choice quiz every couple of years, we're not even allowed to do that. And right. that has to be addressed or else nothing else makes sense. Nothing else is even worth pursuing. And to me, you don't get there until you fix the press. I mean, if, if the media is allowed to sculpt every narrative and ignore every story, you know, we have nothing. We, we can't tell, we can't convince the, the public that any of this election fraud is happening. Yeah, and I, I think someone, though it won't get very far in the Trump court, but someone should at least try to challenge the 96 Telecom Act yeah, um, under, under First Amendment, Congress shall make no law restricting the freedom of the press, uh, because that Telecom Act certainly restricted the freedom of the press. And corporate ownership of, of news organizations restricts the freedom of the press. There should not be a corporate structure behind the news organization. It should be democratically controlled democratically driven organizations who run the news certainly or at and least bring the back fairness the fairness doctrine. doctrine where they're required yeah. to report both sides of a, a story etc hmm. exactly they got around that in they, but you know i was around for the fairness doctrine and for people who were challenging the fairness doctrine and it was so easy to get around by just not pretending another side existed yeah, but it was a hell of a lot better than it is now, John. I mean, now it's like cable news has has collective has collectively dumbed down Americans, in my opinion. Half of what yeah. they get, and and if that is your only source for journalism, yeah, I mean, you're not you're not seeing reality at all. That I think that's, 
I think that's definitely true. Uh, let's let's talk about New York City for a second, because right now we're in the middle of the situation where they're now considering removing Bernie Sanders from the ballot altogether. One of the things that Bernie said when he suspended his campaign was that he was going to remain on the ballot in, in all the states and that he was going to try to get delegates still and try to affect the platform, et cetera. Well, I don't see how he does that after suspending his campaign because he has no leverage left. Now New York is able to do this thing that they're doing without fear of repercussions. I mean, well, the repercussions might be that voters get more angry and refuse to vote for their, for Biden. I mean, that's a possibility, I suppose. But for the Sanders campaign, there's no real leverage there. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the 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 goal of Bernie's campaign should be, I mean, assuming he, he really thinks he's lost and he's just going to, you know, try to move Biden left. Well, if you don't get 25% of the delegates by the end of this race, you have no power at the convention to affect, to bring up motions and, right. and push the rules committee. You lose all your leveraging power if you don't get that 25%. Right. So and it, how does he, you know, he, he has to go to the public and, and make the, Bernie has to go to the public and make the public uh, put pressure on New York to not. You know, to keep him on the ballot. Yeah, you know, they good have luck to. with that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I, honestly, I don't think yet. they care. I don't think the state of New York, I don't think Andrew Cuomo, I don't think any of these people give a shit, honestly. They've shown us that. And and the thing is, um, these, these are people who are used to having the laws mean whatever they want them to mean. These are people who are used to having yeah. the Constitution mean whatever they want it to mean. Do you think they're going to give a fuck if Bernie gets a couple line items on their platform no look at what they did last time they 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 voted down a lot of his major offers they took crumbs and then they pointed to that thing and beat us over the head saying that is our most progressive platform ever yeah. and they ignored <laughs> every piece of every that aspect. go back and look go back it's, and look yeah. at the 2016 platform that came out of that convention and it's meaningless show me in action. One, show yeah. me one item that not only didn't they do at all, but yeah. that the leadership actively fought against. Yeah. Where's yeah, that $15 well, minimum wage? Where's our $12 minimum wage? I mean, it's the same thing throughout the whole party. I mean, we're all in California, the three of us. And, you know, it's in the, it was in the California Democratic Party's platform to pass single payer health care. And right. they yeah. actively fought against it when we had the votes right. to pass it. So with a supermajority even. So the That's platform right. doesn't really mean anything, no. I mean, but it, it, it means a little more than nothing. So it, at least he's still got that he should be <laughs> fighting for. All right. Let me I, ask I you this. I think we need to stop. Just let me let me finish. Yeah. I think we need to stop worrying about and fighting for things that mean, quote unquote, a little more than nothing. I, I think we need to sure. start voting. Start. I think we need to need to assess what are the things that are going to be effective uh, and go after those. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so I see this whole uh, pandemic is as the strongest case for his entire platform. Oh, I mean, 100%. he should be, you know, by the time we're we got four months of COVID and everyone's unemployed, we have 25 million people or something in the last five weeks became unemployed. You know, there's going to be a real need just to keep the economy alive to offer people health care. Right. Let me ask you this. The other two outsiders in in the primary were Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, so to speak, and they both fell in line behind Biden as well. What do you make of that? I think Tulsi uh, shook me 
with that, I got to say. Um, I have always been a big advocate for Tulsi, even when she screwed up Medicare for all. And the reason I have been such an advocate is one, I saw her speak to the Veterans Caucus at the California Convention. That's right. And I get misty just thinking about how she spoke to them and what she said. You were there, right? Yeah. We were there. I don't have to tell you how frustrating it is to see how time and time again, there are examples of how far away our government has gotten from the vision our founders had for us of a government truly of, by, and for the people. Instead, what we see in Washington too often is a government of, by, and for self-serving politicians or greedy corporations or the rich and powerful. What happens as a result? We the people suffer. People are left struggling and suffering and left behind. The values that are at the heart of every service member Every single one of you here, those values of service above self are what we need so desperately in this country. To have leaders who are actually putting the well-being of the people of this country at the forefront, above all else. It is those values that I seek to bring to the White House, to serve as your president and commander-in-chief, and to restore the principles of respect and honor and integrity to the presidency. I'm still serving in the Army National Guard today. I've been serving for over 16 years. I'm the first female combat veteran ever to run for president. And in Congress, I served on the Foreign Affairs and the Armed Services Committees for over six years. So like you, I know the importance of our national security. And I know the cost of war. I've seen it firsthand. As your president and commander-in-chief, I will end wasteful regime change wars that have taken far too many lives, that have made our country less safe. I'll work to end this new cold war that we're in with ever-escalating tensions between the United States and nuclear-armed countries. Work to end this nuclear arms race and take the trillions Trillions of taxpayer dollars that have been coming out of our pocket going to pay for waging these wasteful wars. Take those trillions of dollars and invest them in serving the needs of the American people. Things like health care for all, education, protecting our environment, ensuring clean water for every American in this country, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure. There are so many needs and we've got to get our priorities straight in this country. There's a lot of work that we need to do to honor the service of our veterans. We were all there, um, yeah. It was unbelievable. I mean, and, and so, but also she's a fighter and she's a fuck you fighter, right? What she did in 2016 that Bernie never yeah. acknowledged as far as I saw or fought for her this time. Yeah, it was epic. Um, but ultimately, my takeaway from this, whether it's right or wrong, is she's all over the map. She's just too unstable and unpredictable to really put your trust in. And that was was disappointing um, and, and a little bit heartbreaking mm -hmm. to, to see someone like that turn into a Biden supporter. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, the guy behind yeah, the I, Iraq war that she had to go fight him and she's endorsing. 
it's crazy. And, you know, the one thing I always thought about Tulsi is that she has integrity, you know, and I, I always felt like when I disagree with her on positions, it was just that, you know, she was seeing the positions wrong, but the move endorsing Biden goes against everything she ever stood for and makes no sense to me. She didn't have to do it. So what, what's her motivation? No, she didn't have to do it. I don't, I don't, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me either. I just don't understand it. And, and, you know, and then some people want to say it's the same as what Bernie did. I don't think it is at all because when she dropped out and the same thing with Andrew Yang, when he dropped out, there were still people in the race. There was still a primary to be had. When Bernie finally conceded, there was nobody else. That was it. It was the end of the line, right? So what I look, I'm not okay with what Bernie did. I think he should have stayed in the race. But I'm, I'm doubly perplexed by the fact that Tulsi, whether or not they're 100% in line with policy-wise with each other, I think is sort of tangential to the point that all three of those um, candidates are seen as outsiders to the DNC, right? So mm. they've all experienced firsthand the heavy-handed tactics, the uh, insider right. t- horse trading, the corrupt, you know, they've seen this stuff, the corruption, especially with Tulsi after 2016. You know, I've interviewed Tulsi on that. And she, she sees it clearly. She was, she was part of the DNC leadership before she uh, resigned that position. So, yeah, that was disappointing. I have to agree. Yeah, she dropped out from being the vice chair of the DNC, right? Yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, and the, her yeah. reason was the way, because of how they were treating Bernie Sanders, and she wanted to endorse Bernie Sanders. So in order for her to do that, she right. had to resign her position. Right. And she spoke, uh, she spoke out very publicly about the things that went on. You know, I talked to her about the uh, at-large delegates. You know, like Tom Perez has these 75 appointed at-large delegates that he gets to pull out and throw on the table if he needs proxy votes, uh, if, he's not, if a vote's not going his way. Tulsi, can I ask an add-on question to that? Sure. I was just at the DNC meeting last week covering that, and I witnessed some of the lack of transparency that you're bringing up. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was that Tom Perez has uh, 75 at-large delegates that he appoints, and he was able to pull these out as proxy votes when he needed to to change the outcome of a vote. Um, so what do we need to do to fix this? Because obviously the, UR- the URC did not fix More it. More people need to get involved in the process to be involved in those rule changes in the committee. You know, we, we saw some changes come about post-2016 because you had a lot of folks who were really frustrated and angry about what happened and they wanted to do something instructive about it. They ran for those local delegate positions. They ran for those positions on the state central committees. They ran for those national delegate positions so that they could have a seat at the table and bring about those changes and those reforms. That's what needs to happen. So, I mean, the entire thing is just rigged to the top to the bottom. All right, so John is more of a revolutionary, I'm hearing. He's saying there's no space for the third party, that it doesn't make sense. Um, I think you both think the DNC is just for a, a failed entity. Dumpster fire. Uh, lighted on fire. Okay, so so what are the answers then? I mean, it, either we go full weather underground or we do something else. What, what, are, you, what are your ideas? Well, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what I'm working on now. Um, and I guess this is kind of the first announcement of it, and we're 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 trying to pull this together and figure out what we what we need to do. Um, but a week ago, just because I could and because I was pissed off, I reserved the domain fuckyoufuckingfucks.com. This is how we change the world. And here is what here is what I want to do. And, and wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Please say that again, please. Fuck you fucking fucks.com. Okay. Wait, that could be applied to so many fucking fucks. 
it, it, it's beautiful that way, isn't it? I love you, um, Graziano. You kill me. <laughs> so, so we're, I'm literally um, looking at, and I don't know. It's just been a five hundred one c three four c four c three, probably not c three. A pack, whatever you want to do. But it is going to be the fuck. I, you I fucking think that fuck. needs to be a pack. The fuck you. It pack. is going to be the fuck you fucking fucks pack. Um, and what and and here's here's the thing that is a fundamental truth. Oh, shit. None of us, not even the three of us, yeah, can agree on what we should do going forward. Okay? I don't know. But all of us should agree on what we should not do. Okay. Oh, that is a good point, John. I, yes, hundred <clears> percent. And one of them is is we should not vote for this fucking senile rapist i also I have i also have don't vote for joe.com so um <laughs> so the idea behind this is this will be a 100 percent negative campaign okay our house words are we do not praise anyone who screws up and not screws up not makes an honest mistake but someone who actually betrays their constituency, betrays their voters, betrays the, 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 the country or humanity, yes, gets a page. And that means that it's not only going to be, you know, obvious enemies like Nancy Pelosi and yeah. Mitch McConnell, but it's going to be some of the sacred cows. Definitely. <coughs> Rokana. Rokana's, well, yeah. yeah. He's not Rose. a sacred cow to me, never has yeah. been. So, look, yeah. he, he constantly sides with his constituency, which is wealthy Silicon Valley donors. There's no two ways but, about that. But the people that I'm talking about are sacred cows that even you will, will object to, okay? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. AOC. No, I don't object to that at all. I Sean think... King. Who? Sean King. Look, he's had problems with lots of people. I don't, you know, and I don't know. And Grimm. And the other people at the intercept right. who are there yeah. and are self-appointed, <laughs> self-appointed gatekeepers. The thing is, I mean, I, if 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 I don't at some time appear on this website, I'm going to be disappointed because what it really is about is holding people accountable for who they pretend to be. And when you betray that, you should not get away with it, and right. you should be mercilessly excoriated for doing it because you're betraying a movement where when it gets betrayed Mm -hmm. people die people die there will be there are dead people who are wouldn't have been dead if if bernie and aoc had been harder on on biden harder on on their their yeah i don't i don't get it i don't get why I mean, I get that it's his nature to be this kind, <coughs> gentle person, but I, I, yeah, Biden has never been your friend, Bernie. He's never been a part of the movement. If you look through his entire record from start to finish, it's pretty much all bad. There, he, we yeah. have very little shared space. Well, let me ask you this on that note. Um, they're trying to basically make the argument that Trump is worse, right? And I am seeing very clearly the pushback against that is that most people on the left are basically saying, well, is it? Is is eight years of Biden really worse than four more years of Trump? And that, that to many is, is sacrilege, right? If you're part of this mix, mix resistance centrist group, 
just even considering that question is just tantamount to like hell freezing over, right? But if you look at his record, like they bring up the um, like SCOTUS, Supreme Court nominations. Well, look what he did to Anita Hill. Look what he did as far as the the Clarence Thomas situation. He he prevented witnesses from testifying, and he treated yeah. her very terribly. You could go back to Scalia. They he voted for Scalia, but guess what? They all did. The entire freaking Democratic establishment voted yes on Scalia. So. My point in saying this is, is there really any difference at this point that is that anyone optics wise can perceive as as existing? Yes, it's a huge difference, which is I'm waiting. I Donald can't wait to hear Trump, this. as much of an asshole as he is, has not come close to damaging the country the way that Joe Biden has, not even in his league. I think they're in the so same I league, think, honestly, but okay. But Make what I'm case. saying is it's not only that Joe and Trump are the same. Trump is better. Trump is a better choice. Okay, but you wouldn't be saying that if you were Jewish. You wouldn't be saying that if you were a person of color, John. He is sided with white nationalists. There is that aspect that we have to consider. And Joe Biden hasn't? Not in the same way. I, I think, you know, his segregationist is pretty bad. Did you read his bad. eulogy to Strom Thurmond? Yeah, I just said. Did I think the has... segregationist defense is pretty bad, but, like, he's not hanging out with Richard Spencer. As... No, he's hanging out with guys. I, I can't remember the name, but in 2019, he gave a speech and praised a guy who basically referred to black people by the N-word and said they eat each other. And Joe Biden I have not praised... seen that video. Oh, I'll have to send it to you. I wish I could remember. I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he there's a there's a speech that he gave, a public speech that he gave in pro segregation, which was as horrible as anything the Nazis had ever said about Jews. Okay, but let me ask you this: I'm still not hearing that he's better. How is he better? How is Trump better? I don't I don't hear it. I hear Biden is okay. as bad is what I hear. Yeah. So first off, um, Trump, as dumb as he is, and we make jokes about him going senile, he is more in command of his faculties than Joe Biden by a good bit. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. <laughs> um, he he doesn't have the history. I mean, Trump never voted for a war that killed a million innocent people. I think he would. So. So what is so the arguments that we have that Trump is worse, Trump is even worse than George W. Bush. The arguments that we oh, have I don't that, think. Hang on. I don't think George. I think George Bush is worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I, think I will. Biden, I will agree with you on that. And everything George Bush did, Biden was in his Senate enabling him. I'm going to have to go get. Oh, I don't disagree with that. Face. Pat, what do you think? Look, Trump is going to be terrible. Um, I guess I would care more if I thought, first off, that Biden had a chance. I don't think he does. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of irrelevant. I think unless unless his only chance would be to come hard left and trick the public that he's hard left. But That's not if he can't happen. even do that, I don't really care about telling someone I'm not going to vote for him. I mean, I'm not going to vote for him. I can tell everyone. No, right yeah, now. I'm That's with you. Fine. I don't, I'm but, not going to vote for Biden I, either. I, I think the argument is, is what's what's better long-term because look, we're talking about four years and I know if you're someone affected by Trump in that four years, it sucks. It's, you know, it's, it could be your life. It could be, you know, but 
politics is like that. It's it's that for everybody. So, you know, is, is our society better off in 10 years after four years of Trump? Or is it better off after eight years of Democrats pretending to support us and not making any changes and not addressing climate change in a way that's actually meaningful enough right. to save the planet? Right. So, Pat, I agree with that. I, I, what I'm saying is I don't think either one was better than the other one. I think they're all, both equally terrible. And I think that the, the reality is, is, is eight more years of this sort of incremental enabling bullshit doesn't help us in any way, shape, or form. It just puts us, it just puts us more on the right side of the, plan, uh, the, um, the uh, spectrum. So where, where do we go from here? Like, what are your, what are your parting suggestions for, for folks that are watching this? Like, if you, 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 you both are very respected activists on the left. I think people really care about what your opinion is. So, so each of you give me what your thoughts are as to where the movement goes from here. I mean, I, I personally would like to see um, any third party get the 5%. At this point, the Greens is the best option for that. Not that I prefer their platform over some of the other third parties. But, you know, if there isn't consolidation, I would probably vote green myself. I don't see any point in writing Bernie and I don't, I don't, I never really understood that option doesn't help anyone. Um, but I mean, we have to activate and uh, protest and disrupt and stop things and, you know, shame the hell out of people like John's plan fuckity fuckity fucks.com or whatever it is <laughs> fuck you fucking fucks.com there you go right. fuckity fuckity fuck fucks.com works too if you guys, I, i'm gonna make a page for youtube if you don't pronounce it right <laughs> fair enough yeah but we have to uh i mean we have to disrupt we have to take you know one thing blm got right is disruption that's yeah. that's the only way you and you, occupy Signs, yeah, yeah, signs don't matter. I mean, you need to actually stop the flow of money and, and right. exchange of, of wealth somehow. Because it's all about money. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. it is. The platonomy transcends both parties. That's, you know, reality. So from my point of view, there is one thing we need to do above all others. Um, because none of this is going to work as long as the Democratic Party exists in its current form. Um, this is part of the don't vote for Joe campaign. It's not enough that Joe loses. The Democrats have to be embarrassed. They have to be wiped out. They, we have to remove their credibility as a national party. And until we do that, until there's a smoking hole in the ground where the Democratic Party used to be, they will thwart us at every opportunity yeah. because their job is not to fight Republicans. Their job is to fight us. Right. I, yeah, I agree. So and what, and, we have and to get rid you know, of after, after 2016, you know, we thought we spent the last four years trying to point out that the press sucks and is not our friend, trying to point out that the Democratic Party sucks mm -hmm. is not your, our friend. And it, it's sunken into more people, but not enough to change anything. So ah. I agree with the the needing it burned down in a sense. Well, from an acceleration standpoint, from an acceleration standpoint, um, losing your job, losing your health care, and then facing homelessness is a great radicalizer. Right. Yeah. And the I fact agree. is, and I don't yeah. remember who said this or what study showed this, but when 3% of the population decide that they are going to right. no longer cooperate, that's when revolutions happen. 
okay? Three percent of the United States population is roughly ten million people. How many people do we have unemployed right now? At least twenty-five million. Yeah, oh, an insane amount. Like it's it's insane, and some of these folks aren't even getting their unemployment checks yet, which is just. And and literally, this is not about furthering one cause versus another. This is the the reality. If these people are going to survive, they need to get radicalized. They need to get active. And I'll say this to the people watching this. This does not mean you have to organize the perfect general strike or we need to have a million, you know, homeless march or whatever into Washington, D.C. These things can happen in very small groups in your locality. And what you need to do is figure out how many like minded people you have, get them together, start talking about how you can disrupt things. Uh, I'm not advocating violence, but then again, I don't consider property crimes to be violence. Yeah. And and I, I say this in all sincerity, get together, leave your cell phones in another room or and use talk signal about only. Uh, if signal is is 100 signal is, is safe from casual lookers. I don't know if the NSA is if we're protected from the NSA from signal, but but you are if you just. Get Alexa out of the room, get your laptop out of the room, get get everything out of the room and start talking about how you are going to fuck shit up. And it's going to be different in one community from another community in in places like Pasadena, Texas. It's going to be about the fence line communities uh, with these refineries fighting back against the, the rich suburbs who, who are pushing Biden. Um, it's going to be a different thing. And it's going to be different people, but it can be done with a very small group of people who are simply willing to do it. Mm. And if we have enough of this, if we have, we can reach critical mass. Um, you know, if you think of, say, a general strike as kind of a 45 caliber bullet, whereas what I'm talking about is a shotgun round, where there's just all of this shit coming at people. If if Nancy Pelosi can eat in public comfortably we have failed <laughs> and this is the kind of this is the thing that i will say every one of the people doing this has a home and that home has a location that you can find it's true. and it's those true. people pelosi's humor should never have a comfortable night's sleep again and we need to make that happen. I I hear you, man. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, you guys, and talking with me about this. Um, I think we have a lot of areas where we agree, and the most obvious one is that the DNC is not reformable, that yeah. they've shown us who they are, and it's time for a new level of revolution of some sort. And thanks to Linus for disrupting this. I know. <laughs> That's the Velociraptor, and he works for fuck you, you fucking fucks. Fuck you fucking fuck.com. Yes, he's, he's our mascot. mascot.